Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Alright, it's that time again. Back on the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay, here at the Brewing Network Studios in downtown Concord with Bevo. Hey, Bevo. No, she left. <laughs> Rip. Uh, Kevin's here, though. Hey, Kev. Kevin. Cuddles is here. Hey, Kev, did you guys try some of those other uh, some of those leftover almanac beers out there? I have not yet. Oh man, he's actually he's actually been working. What? What? There what? are people here. <laughs> what? Uh, Scott's here too. Hey, Scott. Hey, man. And we're joined by tonight's guest. Tonight's today's whatever. Whatever. Almanac. Beer company, it's still still beer company, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm an beer company. We make beer. We're a company. I just always like to me. It was always like you do because the the as we talked about in the last show, the early parts of Almanac were contract brewing, tenant brewer. I think the like brewing PC way of saying you're you're making beer, but you don't have a brew house is beer company. Yeah. That's kind of how I Gypsy, interpreted yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And we, we were always like, I mean, the rare barrel has never been the rare barrel brewery or, but then as part of the tagline, as you see on Scott shirt, a sour beer company. So I was like, wondered, would you, would you guys think about going to Almanac brewing company or Almanac brewery? Just keep it Almanac beer. I think we just uh, shortened the whole thing, like Alac or something, you know? Alac. Oh, oh. you, you might get a call from Gilbert Gottfried, and, yeah. you know. Alac. Yeah. Almanac Beer Company Incorporated LLC. There you go. Yeah. What about, you, you could, you know, a fermentation project? Almanac oh, fermentation? Yeah, something more There's esoteric. other stuff, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. What's going to happen to the Rare Barrel when the Pilsner comes out? Good question. You guys aren't going to be rare, a, It's the Rare Barrel. You're not a sour beer company maybe, anymore. Maybe you can We're just... We're still a sour beer company. I mean... You're a fresh beer company, too. We, we serve food, you I know? I propose the name Common we have We have bathrooms. On, we have good. other things. Rare Barrel, a bathroom company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can you just do the thing where you do the strike-through on sour? You yeah. keep the exact logo. You just strike-through sour. Just I'm down. I'm, I'm down into it. For whatever's cheapest. <laughs> Just get one of your staff back there with a Sharpie, you know? Mm-hmm. It's one by one. We should yeah. do a barrel lager project, though. Just going to put that out there. Yo, food or lager? We are. We have We have been We have been doing, we have been talking about uh, different rare barrel almanac things, which are very exciting. So I'm, I'm, I'm up for whatever. Just made a beer recently. That's yeah, right. For sure. For sure we did. For sure. It's not out. It's, what's the status? It's no, it's out. out. It's gone. It's been drank. Oh, jeez. It's for more. sure. There's another one it's I didn't sure get. You for sure missed it. It's called it. For Sure Out. <laughs> Man. For sure. No. For sure out of stock. That <laughs> <laughs> was fantastic. And it's nice. Um, you know, we've uh, been contemporary breweries for a long time, and um, it's just nice to, you know, get to work together. I mean, it's kind of like I'm proud that we're, we're both in the Bay Area, and I think we contribute. Uh, sorry, not to be 
non-humble about this, but... Not humble brag. Yeah, not humble brag. But uh, I think having both Almanac and Rare Barrel in not only the Bay Area, but now that you guys have a home in the East Bay, I think it's like definitely a destination for sour beer lovers you know, across for the sure. country. And both breweries have done a lot to make the Bay Area an even stronger candidate for one of the best sour and wild beer uh, cities or areas in the United States or even the world, to Thanks, be honest. man. I love your guys' beer totally. Yeah. So Respects kinda, mutual. Yeah. What was the collab? We did a, uh, it was a hazy, hazy uh, IPA that we um, released as um, for sure at our spot. And then the same hazy IPA base went to Sour, to, went to Rare Barrel. Mm-hmm. And uh, we picked a barrel out with you guys and it was called Sour for sure. Barrel yep. 666, nice. the barrel yeah. of the devil. The devil barrel. <laughs> well, maybe I'm glad I didn't get, get to try any. It was, it, was, it was delicious. I had a few cans. Banging. Like, when it was still around, like, uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was like, this is fucking great. Damn. Yeah. One of our favorite collabs, for sure. Sweet. Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll keep doing it. It's 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 easy for us. We're, we're close, both by proximity and uh, friendship and and philosophy maybe also i guess but um well next time you guys will make the ipa portion and we'll do the sour side once right. the brew house is up and <laughs> running the is up and running. That, didn't tell that story off air by the way but oh. what i couldn't say remind remind i'm gonna Let's remind just go off air right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's our shit now <laughs> set a reminder for 10 minutes from now to tell jay to tell the story about the thing thanks siri okay good we're good I don't, my phone I didn't remind say anything me. out loud though i know i don't know why what accent did you go with I had a uh, Aussie for a while. What, male she, or female? She, uh, female. Yeah. But she was struggling to, she like wouldn't quite understand me. I don't know if that means it's set to hear it differently, <laughs> too. But I, I eventually just went back to, like, you know, American. American? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm Aussie woman. You are Aussie oh, still? For sure. <laughs> for sure. For <laughs> sure. So we have, uh, before we get back to more Almanac Sour Beers, we have some clean beers. I poured I some Kolsch into my glass. I am curious how you guys, like, what went into the, when you decided to start venturing into clean what what were some of those you know conversations behind closed doors what did they sound like i mean um you know it's it's sort of really part of my part of my goal and i think you know company why what we think about is is that the market's not a predictable thing well i guess let me back it up the beers that we put out fresh beer are beers that we want to drink that starts number one we, we love Kolsch. we love dry hop lagers that's why we have vibes we make a very soft ipa that we like to drink low abvs is our target drinkability but Having our hats hung up on one thing doesn't really seem like you know a stable future, and that's sort of the idea. Is that fresh beer was hard for us to produce as a contract brewery, always to our standards. We you know we we struggle. We've we've had a lot of great partner breweries over the years. You know, shout out to them. Um, shout out to Sudwork. Shout out to Laughing Monk, folks that have helped us in the past. Shout out to Hermitage. But there's just a, a level of quality that we want to put out in our beers, and having our own brewery now lets us do it with fresh beer. And that's kind of the main motivation is that we we couldn't do it before. Now we can. So it's one of that. That's like the easy answer. We can do it. So well, we also, I'm sure, Jay, when you guys opened up your spot, it took a while to age all that uh, blending stock. And for us, when we had to open up our brewery, we didn't really have the luxury of waiting for our blending stock to age. So we had to have some fresh beer to put out and keep the lights on. And that was pretty much what turned into our bread and butter uh, like I said, it's uh, 70-30 splits, and that's kind of what we have really perfected, and we've mm-hmm. let the sour beer kind of augment that at this point. Um, definitely the sour beer is what we are most known for, but we also want to try and now that we have our own spot, be known for clean beer and mm-hmm. really know that 
what we're making is under our own um, own rooftop and any you know uh flaws or anything we can improve upon and make the best yeah. that we can and there are there are complications so you know to both of your points it's not about the because we work with other breweries to make our beer and you guys have in the past as well so it's not about uh, denigrating anyone else and it's not their fault there's just like inherent complications with essentially two separate entities making you know beer on a consistent basis totally. all the time so it, it it can be tough but you know uh, something that you david mentioned on the last show reminded me of this question i think now's the time to to ask it which came from david nosa group nasa group no sagrup one of those three for sure for sure curious about their best practices for cip on the canning line between funky and clean beers and let's let's just extend that out to just being a brewery making both you know in one footprint overall so what do you what how do you guys tackle that the issue of making both yeah definitely when we when phil first told me we were going to be using the same line for fresh and sour i was like you're joking right and so uh, a lot of our challenges have been implementing uh, quality assurance checks to make sure that our line is suitable to clean, uh, to package clean and sour beer. Uh, the biggest thing that we do is we have a completely different fill system that we use for sour sour beer and clean beer. And what I mean by that, we use a wild goose canning line and the manifold itself that's putting the beer into the can. Uh, we have two separate ones, one for sour, one for clean. So that's the part that's uh, most direct in contact with the product. The part that we don't swap out is the seamer. The seamer is the one that we is too troublesome to swap out. And so in order to validate that that part is clean, we have um, an ATP meter. So mm-hmm. ATP is a desi- uh, stands for adenosine triphosphate that measures the basically the level of organic material or uh, l- biological material that is on a surface. And so we make sure that that level is below a certain threshold in order to say that it is good to package clean beer. What's our threshold internally, David? I'm the host uh, here, so. Uh, David, follow-up question. What is the threshold? Um, so a lot of breweries uh, will say 30. We say 10. Um, just oh, because, so you're better than uh, everyone else. You, know, you think hum- you're better than me? Humble brag. <laughs> uh, yeah, just because what we're doing is so unorthodox, we really want to make sure that our sure. material is spick and span, and uh, our packaging line operators are uh, really know the machine well. They've come from a background of using a wild goose can line very well, so shout out to uh, Keisha Catherine, Tim Bradley. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we have a quality check there, and also um, I'll, uh, after any fresh beer is packaged after a sour run, uh, I'll plate that, make sure that it is uh, microbiologically stable and is not going to ferment afterwards. So there are uh, post-packaging checks that we'll do to make sure that nothing has gone awry. And what's the timeline on that for people who are saying, okay, I want to do that. I want to get the ATP meter and I want to play after the fact, but I also have, you know, I want to sell these cans either to, you know, local retailers or distributors because it's one thing to do this and have it keep it in house, which, you know, a lot of breweries listening that are smaller breweries, they can do that. And, you know, you can get away with 
frankly, you can get away with less investment in your QA, QC program as a smaller brewery with your with the beer not going as far away. But for breweries selling to retail, you know, locally or in their state and then maybe even nationally or sending internationally, when they're crashing a deadline, what's what's the overall timetable for that? Yeah, that's a good question. And it really, yeah, for the ATPs. For the ATP testing, it's literally within a matter of minutes making sure your thing is clean or no clean. It's kind of a go-no-go basis. In terms of plating something, that takes about like three to five days to make sure that there's no bacteria growing. So it's not it's not a terribly long timeline. It's definitely uh, something that can be withheld on your part in order to make sure that your product is stable to send out. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing worse than sending something out that you end up having to bring back. So... Um, yeah, it's nothing that is egregious in terms of timeline, but it's something that you have to incorporate into your timeline in order to make sure that something is good to go. Mm-hmm. And then for, you know, just as someone you know about to do this, and I love asking questions. I, know, I already know the answer to, but for people listening out there who want to do both in the same facility and want to mimic this, uh, it sounds like... One part of the process is a piece of equipment, the ATP meter. And the other part of the process is there's equipment involved in plating and things like that and having that program, but maybe more of a time and specialty thing. So what's what would you kind of guys ballpark the cost, like the piece of equipment versus the time that you guys need to spend? So, I mean, we... we, we it's kind of, um, you know, so we're ATP, we do PCR, we do plating, so it's kind of three prongs and check places that we're checking. The time isn't really that much consuming, you know. It's it's more like it's it's hurry up and wait for most of it, right? For the most part, it's sort of yeah, definitely. It's sticking to a commitment that you're not going to put something out without the without knowing getting the test results back. You know, that's sort of like the hard part about it. So when we do sour packaging on cans, we we try to get a lot done at once and then stay fresh for a long time, just because of how much of a pain in the ass that can be on Mm -hmm. the same line. But we use the same keg line, we use the same fuge, we use the same. Kegline and Fuge and Canline. Canline are all yeah. shared. We, we mix, you know, stainless dust is stainless, so if you can clean it, you can clean it. Um, yeah. The only thing that we ever separate is just soft parts, gaskets. Plastics and Plastics, rubber. And things that are not like that. caustic. Yeah, hoses, know. pumps, anything that has uh, any rubber material that's a little bit harder to clean than a stainless surface. Anything you'd use in the bedroom, you need to <laughs> Yeah, dildos, yeah. you know. No. We don't share dildos between <laughs> both sides. Yeah, no sour dildos. Yeah. That's a whole my, different story. My favorite Reddit forums is sour dildos. <laughs> yeah, we had a good Reddit talk off air before yeah. this. But, um, but yeah, like Phil great. said, we have a three-tiered system, and I think depending on your level of uh, depending on the size of your brewery, uh, those three different levels are kind of differentiated. If you want to really just start, start on the basic of microbial stability, get an ATP meter. They're a thousand bucks. The swabs are like a, a dollar each. Like that's just the m- very basic level of making sure yeah. something is clean. We're okay. all in for less than fifteen thousand just on our microbial program. You know, yeah. the, the, the the DO meter costs two times what we spend on microbial. Yeah. Microbial is kind of a cheap thing. It's just like a little bit extra labor, but. Yeah, you definitely, you know, want to make sure that the effort and the cost is relative to your production standards. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we're doing, like I came, uh, I used to work at Lagunitas as well, and all three things were at were at Lagunitas and more, but we're making like a fifth, a sixth of the volume of what Lagunitas does. Yeah. But because we're doing sour and fresh at the, at such a scale, all under one roof, we need all those tools in order to ensure that our product is okay to sell to market. 
For sure. Yeah. And it, that's definitely the way to go when you want to make clean beer. And I love this sour Kolsch. So when are we going to get one of the clean beer? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> we, we do have the sour IPA open, though. Yeah. Now, how's that? That's just a little in, in, internal joke. We opened the Kolsch, which is fantastic. And now we have Jungle Gym. Uh, sour IPA. Yes, indeed. And it's a uh, collab with Original Pattern, yeah? Yeah, shout out to the Original Pattern. Absolutely. We love those guys. I would love to do, maybe we can tease it out, I would love to com- compare and contrast uh, your guys' techniques for, for sour IPAs and see how they differ and how they're the same. And you know, Sure. And I think we have a question from the Milk the Funk Forum on this kind of beer anyway. And we can tease that too. Sweet, sounds good. We're really great at teasing multiple things. We both bring it and, <laughs> and totally remember them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> such teases. I Let's... do. I do have my reminder on my phone though to have you tell me this. Uh, tell us this story. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 the story. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, so, see how much we forget right after this break. <laughs> You're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Almanac, they're slinging these good beers out here. Really good. Philip and Dave. David. And Phil. David, thank you. <laughs> I don't think Philip reminds Philip, but I get the sense that Dave presents Dave. I get that strong sense too, yeah. <laughs> Phil said during the, before the show, it's like, this guy was like, uh, like, Philip or is like, is Phil art is like Phil's cool, and then I thought to myself, because I mean, like when you have alter egos, like when you're Philip, you're uncool, <laughs> yeah, and when you're Phil, it's like, oh, I'm just Phil today, you guys. Philip is a square. He's you know he's he's the one that has his shirt tucked in and uh, hall monitor. Totally, he's yeah. on yeah. Board, <laughs> yeah, I want to be RA. Your hand flies up. I want to be RA. Yeah, good call back to something we talked about. <laughs> good, call back. good cops, Phil. But we uh, we we did tease. I think we we talked about it. We we can pay this off. But we were talking about uh, Jungle Gym, which mm-hmm. is a sour uh, IPA. Give me some more of this guy. Try huh? a little more. And uh, we're going to compare and contrast our processes. But uh, why don't we start with the the almanac process for how do you guys make a sour IPA? And this is another one in a can, by the way. Sure. So, I mean, this beer in particular, because it's a collab, we really wanted to do the exact same thing at both spots. So the, the recipe is identical to the, the clean version that we made at Original Pattern. Andy came over and made this version with us. But where it differs, differs from a normal West Coast IPA is that it uh, it went into, well, one, we, we dropped the IBUs a little bit. That was the only change in the recipe. Chris, everything else, same hops. But uh, we didn't want it to be 45, 50 IBUs. We wanted it to be closer to like 25, so get a little tartness in there. So you did less uh, less hot side hops? Or less hot side same hops. Same dry hops? Same whirlpool. Same just, whirlpool. Just reduced the, the 60-minute addition actually on mm-hmm. it. Same dry hop, everything identical to the clean version. The only difference being that this was primary fermented with some Saison instead of some uh, Chico West Coast. And then finish in a fooder that has our mixed culture. So we didn't pitch any extra mixed culture. We just let it finish out in that fooder. So... You know, in total, about six six to eight weeks process, I think, grain to glass, sort of how that works out. Saison primary, so you guys are liars. This is not... It's not an IPA. <laughs> it's a sour farmhouse. So we so we, we wanted to do it in a sense that's um, that we what know. What is an IPA? Yeah. What is a sour IPA? I think actually, so, you know, I think actually you guys are doing a really good job of kind of filling in what 
what works, I think, for the hazy side in, in a lot of ways. And it's, and, um, I, I honestly really love what you guys are doing with the clean, hazy blended with a little bit of sour. I think that works really well in calling it an IPA. I think it's a lot of people struggle. They're like, what do you, how do you describe a hoppy sour? And we've actually, we've gone through, as Almanac, we've gone through a, a bunch of different iterations of how you describe that uh, hoppy sour. Is it a, you know, is it a, is a, is a farmhouse IPA? Is it, you know, this beer we wanted to call sour IPA specifically because the label is the same label for original pattern. Mm-hmm. But we wanted it instead of, you know, for the people at home that can't see what I'm holding up, but looking at Jay. Oh, yeah, now oh, the, uh, yeah. the ah. well, these look like they're off now. So yeah, because Bevo's not here. Well, nobody can see what we're doing, <laughs> it's, but. That's all right, you can describe it. So there's, it's just, uh, it's it's a very groovy uh, animal scene, a bunch of animals hanging out, and uh, there's some there's some word blurbs coming out of it, some word bubbles, and uh, it says the name of the beer, Jungle Gym, and then Sour IPA. So we just really wanted to kind of, you know, say what it was, and that's, this, that's what this beer is, I guess, like on paper, is it's an IPA that was brewed. We reduced the IBUs, but other than that, it's an IPA brewed. And dry hop like an IPA. Fermented with a primary yeast, it's not necessarily the same yeast, but uh, the biggest difference just being that it sat for six weeks in a fooder with mixed culture. Nice. I see that there's an uh, Almanac employee or two or three right there. There's, there's a, few well. yeah, a couple there's monkeys there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the barrels. I see Taco for sure. That's cool. That's The illustration's really cool. Label art is sweet. Yes, Shout out to Damien, uh, co-founder. Never heard of him. OG uh, Almanac. Some guy. He does uh, most of our label work, and uh, it's pretty cool. Just to pay off the the rare barrel side of things, yeah. We I think we we said it on the show before, but we essentially we brew like a and all of our maybe say for one sour IPAs have been hazies, and so we essentially just brew a hazy IPA, and then right before packaging, blend in about twenty percent of the total volume of sour beer, and we usually try to do like fairly assertive sour beer, not acetic or anything like that, you know, no off flavors, but like just some of our more sour barrels which works out because it's this can be kind of tough to deal with when we when we're just making regular sour beers when we want them to be more nuanced but it works really well for this project you know i get questions a lot um and even in the last week i had a brewer friend of mine shout out to ned in uh australia hope you guys are doing okay with the uh the fires but um we were chatting about our process on the sour ipa and i think the main part that people you know take uh or just have questions about for what we're doing is that you know okay here's a clean sack beer and you know hazy ipa those yeasts and they're finishing at like two three four play-doh something like that some people are finishing even higher but and then you're blending in essentially mixed barrel aged mixed culture beer at the end isn't that a recipe for you know over carving so you know kind of a throwback to what we were talking about with the Hypernova, where there's some risk there. So we do, we do some of the similar things that you guys do. You know, we're incubating them, we're keeping them, we have a library, and we've been doing them for the last year or so. And minimal, minimal Play-Doh drops, CO2 pickup. The only thing that's come up has been um, with some of our, not not really the IPAs, but our sour beers have been the, the liner issue. And we're also in the process of changing that. Yeah, we have a whole branding of a uh, sour IPAs, quote unquote, but they're fruited. It's called our Hop Cake series, mm-hmm. and that uses utilizes a lot of our IPA base that we will inoculate with our mixed culture and then add fruit to. And uh, like you were saying, that will be sitting in barrels. Uh, it's when when we make it on our side, we'll let it sit for a while before packaging, um, just to let the bread attack all of the residual sugar that is in the IPA that we're blending into in in order to lower the residual sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, And then 
will add fruit to it and let that re-ferment out. So uh, that brand of IPAs, uh, sour IPAs that we put out are a little bit longer on a time series than sure. something like this. But, um, yeah, it's definitely something that we want to make sure that when we're packaging is not going to cause issues later on. But I think, you know, your process, which I really like, is that it's the beer is, is closer to a fresh beer than it is a sour. You know what I mean? Totally. But it drinks more like you're having a hazy that's just a little tart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With a tiny bit of funk sometimes, but barely any because you're not really selecting barrels for, for like, funk complexity. You're mm-hmm. just acidity. Nice little bit of acidity. And, and I really like that because I think that it kind of, like, switches up, you know. This this is... This beer in particular, I, which I'm really proud of, sour sour IPA, the Jungle Gym, it drinks like a uh, an IPA that was aged with mm. Brett. So it's got some of that aged note, but it's also got a lot of that nice fruity Brett note. But it's it's closer to a mixed culture beer, whereas what you guys are putting out is closer to I think to like a Dippa or a Nippa, a hazy Dippa or a Nippa. Yeah, it's yeah. like what is a sour IPA at this point? Like that's also a category that yeah. needs to get defined, and or not even needs to get defined, but doesn't have a definition yet. And yeah, so, and that's uh, that's kind of the fun part, you know. Yeah. I, we in the sour beer community or even on the show have talked for years now about definitions and you know um is it a hoppy golden is it a like sour ipa blah, or even, blah, blah. The, even the kettle sour versus barrel aged sour and stuff like that and i think um i've i've, I've waxed and waned between oh this is a, a really annoying you know problem to try and tackle because it's Almost impossible to get seven thousand breweries in the United States on board. Forget about the international intrigue that happens on the, some of these issues right, the uh, right now about farmhouse or you know the the spawn stuff and, right. and wild and sour and yeah. so whatever. Just call it what Mixed you want culture. it, whatever feels right. So, I, so I think that a lot. But then uh, the other part of me says, "Thank God," because are we in an, a generation where? Wow, we're, we get to talk about this. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was coming up in beer, things were like not being pioneered like that much. I don't, I don't mean to like shit on the way beer was. Oh shit! Now yeah, we uh, can shit 12, on the beer. Yeah. Twelve yeah. years ago. Sure. Oh my god! Yeah. What what is happening to me? Oh, a lot of crystal malt. Um, <laughs> but just like you know, there there were like minor adjustments, and now with the explosion of uh, the amount of breweries. I think things are really, you know, you could you could you could think of it as like, oh, things are getting out of control. But it's like, oh, but we're we're the ones participating in yeah. this, and that's like very stressful, but also like kind of a cool opportunity for us at the same time. Yeah, the good ideas will stay afloat, and the bad ideas are going to go to the wayside. Yeah, I've had some like really banging mixed culture or like blended pilsner lager beers from a variety of breweries across the country, mm-hmm. and it's like, how do you define what that is? You know, it's not like you know. Folks that are taking lagers and either blending with mixed culture or taking lagers and aging it longer and like me, a barrel that contain culture. I've had some from Creature Conference that are amazing. I think Arizona Wilderness, uh, Algash just put out something that's really groovy with Brett in there. It's like, what is that? You know, and like in the historical reference, it's like maybe it's what beer tasted like 150 years ago, but for everyone sure. else, it's like that doesn't really have a category. Yep. Yeah, which is so I've, I've kind of kind of come to terms with. You know, even though we we have this platform of the podcast and we can try to influence things, I'm now kind of just thinking like, you know, things are going to – everything's going to shake out how it's going to shake out and we'll be fine. This is beer, you know. We're talking about how to define beer 
And if you talk to someone else who's not in this industry and doesn't give a shit about what we're talking about, they're they're like, "This is what you care about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you talking about? Keep it simple. You know, <laughs> just make great beer. Yeah, and well, everything else will take, yeah, everything else will take care of itself. You but, only get one liver, so just drink something you like. Doesn't matter really what it's unless called. you get a transplant. And yeah. I'm not, yeah. I, I've actually present, pre, preemptively up. signed up for the liver transplant list. Yeah, yeah I know that. it's I know it's going to take a long forty time. years. Yeah. smart. So I'm just gonna. Yeah, I need one. I'm on the list. That's I think smart. with like Impossible Burger, you know, all those things, like there's gonna impossible be impossible like, liver on me. Yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna, they'll, they'll be able to, like lab grow, grow a liver, liver. Yeah. yeah, in a petri dish. I'm down. Sure, yeah. fingers crossed. I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to the IPA process, <laughs> yeah. Wait, for primary, uh, you use an ale yeast for the primary because it's just a, it's an sure. IPA, yeah, right? We use like we we've rotated through different you know hazy strains where people you know London three or Vermont or you know there's all these different names now with the prol- proliferation of uh, small labs and you know they're out there different than Conan and all that stuff. Given Almanac's process, have you guys toyed around or I mean just a thought at this point of using different primary yeasts? Well, just just in that narrow uh, framework of like okay. the, the hazy strains. Yeah. But okay. so we we so we have focused on hazies. And then the other thing I want to say is so that. So that I think I outlined our regular sour IPA process, but you know, uh, Davey, you brought up kind of you called it hop cake, right? That's your series, yeah. And I uh, and I mentioned this before on the show that I think my, my the thing I'm most you know when we're talking about innovation and all this stuff, one of the thing I'm kind of most excited about is and have been from you know talking on the show with people. The influence of hops, which we totally ignored at the beginning of our brewery, but the influence of hops early in the process, then put to barrel aging, has been one of the things that, to me, transcends and goes to what I what I call like it's, we're getting close to peak beer in that sense, where you know, huge uh, whirlpool edition, huge like maybe even a huge uh, dry hop, and then sent to oak barrel with mixed, with mixed culture and age. So you're ta- you're essentially talking about a modern version of IPA. You could do hoppy saison, whatever you want to do, pilsner, but something happens during that aging process with mixed culture where we're we're not talking about like normal beer anymore. It's like it, I wouldn't necessarily like compare it to like goose or something like that but i i do see the magic in like the heavy aged top on the hot side of like lambic producers translating to some of these beers we're making where it's essentially like ipa that we're putting to barrels with mixed culture and i think that's what i'm like really most excited about <laughs> so I was just wondering if they'd brought, they brought uh, a beer that would pay this off. Yeah, it would actually fit. Play <laughs> yeah, I, I but was it's not. Bring it it's up fun. Because, you know, you, you, um, you know, you brought up like the lambic thing, and um, we we actually do a lot of beers with a heavy, heavy whirlpool. Uh, we played around with a lot of cool different hot products for that. Hop oils. Um, we've played around with uh, debittered Alf, you know, American and uh, Nobles. Something that we've been playing around with um, the last year that we really like is just the use of aged hops. It's really yeah. cool in a sour beer that something that you know historically has kind of been a waste in the United States, and just playing around with different aged hops um, out there. We're releasing a beer for Beer Week that we're calling Lamb and Goose. So it's post Beer Week, post Beer Week, we released we released we released a beer for Beer Week um, that's called Lamb and Goose, and um, San Francisco Bay Area Beer Week, by yep. the way. 
um, and and it's you know kind of struggling with like how to call things names, and so you know you know in the United States we've adopted the the term spawn. Just call me by your name. Call me call me call me baby. Um, <laughs> we call spontaneous beers that are not lambic, that are lambic inspired. We call them spawn. In the United States is sort of like the, the term we've agreed on. But what if what if you make a beer that's that's mimicking those flavors, but is not done in that process? And that's yeah. sort of something that we're kind of grappling with. And we we just called it lamb and goose. It's, a, it's like a fun joke, you know, because it sounds like lambic and goose, but. Um, <laughs> but bum. But really, the, the, what tied it all together was the aged hops, and that was kind of a cool breakthrough to find out that how much of what you're looking for in characters, you know, an ingredient that you can just add. Totally. So uh, here's this, and this is just my question for really just me. I don't care if anyone else cares how about this because I do. Uh, what well, you're, you're editing? Sorry. We'll cut that out. <laughs> um, when you guys spend so much time on kind of having a Transcendent base beer. Let me just call it that. This sure. is pre pre fruiting, pre any ingredient yeah, blending stock. Yeah, but like the best blending stock you have. Whether so, maybe you invest some aging of hops in there, or you dry hop it before going to barrel. Something like this. You, you're putting money, effort, time into it to be special. Maybe outside of you know just regular. I, I don't mean to be uh, demeaning to any other blending stock but just like you know there's there's solid good base blending beer some beers are better than others and totally. well and and it's just good yeah. it's like oh this would be this great special by itself it doesn't need fruit doesn't need spices it's exactly phenomenal. so how do you deal with that especially in the context of like the consumer reaction to that where in my opinion it's been indifference no, I mean, that's a real struggle is that, you know, we know our sales data that if we put out a non-fruited sour, it's not going to sell anything close to a, the fruited sours. And that's that's a real struggle is, you know, making payroll, keeping everybody employed and being a profitable company or at least striving towards it. So we put out a couple beers and we just recently put out um, Meeting Place, which we tried in the last episode, uh, the gin barrel version. But the other version is just a, just a beer that's funky and a little tart. And for us, that's kind of a new thing that we haven't done ever um, that I'm hoping to release more this year. That's just these are just barrels that we like. These are mm-hmm. fitters that we like. You know, it's, it's 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 like a little sadness when you take something that's just pretty on its own and add it to fruit. For sure, you know, it, it obviously makes the fruity beer a little better sometimes. But sometimes you just have a barrel that's you, sometimes you have a rare barrel, and you what are you going to do with that rare barrel? Ba-dum-bum. Whoa. <laughs> That wasn't a joke. It's very serious. I really actually mean it. No, I, no, yeah, I, yeah. You, you come across it, and it's, it's that's sometimes a you know a struggle for for meeting um, you know meeting our goals and stuff, but also just blending beer. Where you, you, you're, I have this one single barrel that's I love more than anything else, and what do I do with it? I hold it forever because I don't have a project for it. You put it, in a ke- it. put it in a keg and call it. You call ri- it the rear barrel. We'll, oh, well, we won't see you. <laughs> Have you written on it with Sharpie yet? I think that's something you should yeah. do on with the barrel? rear barrels. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so we uh, we only write Sharpie for things we want to get rid of. Otherwise, it's all in chalk art. Mm, you see, you're yeah. doing it backwards. Yeah. If I've learned anything from PH1. that makes sense, though. For... It does make sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that makes well, – that, that also makes sense. But I think I, – I don't know. I just want to – I want to talk about that more amongst uh, peers and get it out there because, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a place for innovating fantastic base beers. And it's maybe more like it's not quite the same as, let's say, if you're doing clean beer or as you guys call it, fresh beer. And you're talking about like lager and just so Pilsner and Hellas. And I was like, oh, this is wonderful. And you have that in your lineup. But maybe it's not. 
if, if you're out there and you're selling a ton of lager beer, you are so lucky and I'm very jealous, but like, that's great. But you know, a lot of other people are struggling to do that. They, they need to have big flavors and IPAs and fruit beers and lactose and all this stuff. And not that there's anything wrong with any of those, because I love all those things. But, you know, the more you get into the industry, the more brewers and blenders want these kind of base beer flavors to their peak. And I think what we're talking about is the sour beer equivalent, which is these just crazy, like, you can't describe, like, I think Scott and I have described these things as, like, Pez Candy and Diesel and just chalky like there's all sorts of weird stuff and mm-hmm. yeah oh i i've how many times i've said charcoal but charcoal. damn that's not the right word yeah but like <laughs> when so talking about this, goose, this, you know sucks. just this thing yeah. that you like well i you think know, it really just depends on like the volume in your and your uh market that you're going after like you know if you are producing 100 barrels of beer a year you're able to do these like one-off one barrel projects it should be a one barrel yeah exactly like you are able to experiment a lot uh more and release things that you think that you're more so excited about because it's such a smaller volume on uh on our scale when we're producing 100 barrels 200 barrels 400 barrels a month our market is a little bit bigger and so we have to aim for a broader palette not to say that we're not putting off more uh unique and um more uh specialty projects because as we've tasted we will go after that but it really just depends on what's your territory and what you want to try and achieve from that there is this give and take with what your customers want and what you want to do and there's nothing wrong with that i think there should be some give and take with that and not all not all brewers can be 100 percent artists all the time i i i wouldn't consider myself not even close to 100 i can make all, all smoke beers i would yeah there you go <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Except for me. <laughs> so actually uh i want to i want to say a couple of things and let's take a quick break because i think we're over time but uh, i want to pay off that shout out to travis bedford from the milk the funk forum who kind of i didn't ask your question exactly but he asked can we ask about their process on hoppy sours? When do they dry hop? Uh, when do they do uh, blend I hoppy beers? Always. In or both. Um, so thanks for spraying that conversation. And I will just tease one other question, then we'll do a last segment of lightning round mm-hmm. questions, which is, you know, we're just talking about doing what you want to do, like making all smoke beer. So uh, shout sort out to you. St- yeah. <laughs> Steven. Sort of Only sort of, yeah. Steven Outen. What are the biggest advantages a home brewer would have over a commercial brewer in producing producing and making sour beers? Just meeting payroll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not and having payroll. You don't work. You don't brew for a living. Right. <laughs> well, great. That's a he, great advantage. Well, he also said, and you can't say dump it if it sucks. So let's tease that out. We can all think of some answers over the break, including you, Scott. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Wellington, New Zealand, and you're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Now, 
the New Zealand brewers are not over it yet, are they? Uh, or are they no, are they the, jaded? They're, I don't think they're jaded. No, New Zealanders, I mean, still, they're still stoked. Garish Project, I mean, they. every time I see them, it's usually at Firestone Walker, and they're bringing out crazy, crazy beers that thrill, thrill the masses. Try my marshmallow beer. Is your mic on, Dave? Yep. Hello? Hello? No, testing, no, testing? Sorry. There we go. Yeah, they make some awesome uh, wine hybrid type beers. Yeah? Oh, I bet. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I mean, I... <laughs> I feel weird saying that because, like, we're in the, you know, maybe one of the best wine-growing regions in the world. But, like, I love New Zealand wine so much. Mm. It's great. I gotta, Savvy B? Savvy B. I'm, I'm one of those Savvy B. I could be on the Real Housewives of Brewing Network. <laughs> How much I like Savvy B. Sav, sav B all day. Yeah. So let's pay off this question. We have, we're just going to go crazy, crazy fast with a bunch, as many questions as we can. We've had uh, Phil and David here from Almanac, and uh, we teased this out before the break. Again, Stephen Outen, what are the biggest advantages a home brewer would have over a commercial brewer producing sour beer? And you can't say dump it if it sucks. Why don't we start with you, Phil? Uh, I just think, like you know, at the scale you're at, you you can experiment a lot more. You shouldn't be afraid to. Um, even sourcing like some incredibly expensive ingredients to play around with, you know, you want a little bit of truffle to play around with the beer. It's it's definitely possible. Saffron, to, truffle, saffron, totally sour. something goofy. <laughs> Don't make that. If you make it, it's good. Send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> He's but, gonna sell it. <laughs> Phil at almanacbeer.com. Yeah. No, I mean, um, yeah. I just think it, we can you know, scrub that out. When, when you're, when you're a commercial <laughs> brewer, you know, let's say you're making twenty barrels of beer, you're already a couple thousand dollars deep just in you know grain, and that's 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 a huge commitment to to play around with something that's outside the box. And I think that's really where you know a homebrew ex- can really excel for a lot of things. Is you know you're, you yeah you could go learn to make better Sierra Nevada Pale Ale than Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, but what's the point at a homebrew scale when you can literally buy that amazing beer at any grocery store in the world? country anyway also good luck yeah <laughs> also good luck right like for sure but let's say you pull it off it's sort of like a hard thing but what you can do as a home brewer is you can make the beer that doesn't exist and i think that's the biggest value is you can make something that you want to make that nobody else has made you see a couple ingredients that you want to put together why not throw them together you know as, as yeah. a as a brewer you're, you're not just making beer for yourself you're making beer for consumers but as a home brewer, you're literally, that's what you're doing. You're brewing beer for yourself at your house. So you get to make whatever you really want to make. Drop a tab of acid in there. Who cares? <laughs> that's. Can we clip that out? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Well, I, I mean, to that point, though, uh, can we clip that out? Yes. <laughs> oh, wait. Hold on. Hold on. That's a good one, Drop too. a tab of acid in there. Who cares? <laughs> there we go. Okay. That's, that's getting saved. Make sure you tell yeah. people before they drink it, though. That's not That's not cool. Yeah. You don't want to end up on the currently tripping forum. <laughs> The can, the can we clip that out drop is also that's also and good too. You, yeah. you can just drop that in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, can we clip that out? Uh, back in the day, I won't say what year because you know legal. But um, <laughs> I took home some beer <laughs> from let's call it a brewery, and uh, <laughs> is, would it be the only one or no? No, there's no, very there's a. many there's okay. many yeah. Um, but it was like a high ABV beer. It was it was still in the fermenter, so um, just like get a little half gallon jug, and then I dry hopped it with. I don't know. I'll just continue to be safe because now it's fine. But like a cousin of hops, so did a massive dry hop, and then um, <laughs> bottle condition uh, pernicious weed, and served it to my friends, and they were like, well, they ranged from like. 
oh, I don't usually smoke this thing. thing. Pop, yeah. Um, to like, I'm a heavy user, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm currently and that was fun. Shit. There's like it was like uh, heavy users were like oh, yeah, I was fine, whatever. Like non heavy users like yeah, I'm ripped. And then, <laughs> weirdly, one of my friends who's kind of somewhere in between like got hives from it. Really? I, I mean, like I, splotches I, on the neck kind of thing. I guess it was from that, but like <laughs> it was I don't know. It was strange, but that was really fun because I was like reading all about it and like here's the like solubility and all this stuff and I was like, oh I need like the high ABV and yeah it's cool so box like that first yeah so to your to your point David it's like you can do weird stuff like that the brewing network and the rebel do not advocate that and you're neither drop a tab of acid in yeah. there who cares <laughs> David please let Jay finish <laughs> <laughs> doesn't speak for Almanac here um, my, mine would be actually one comment on on, on Phil's thing <laughs> doing great yeah is uh you know kind of in the same genre of like you can do what you want but also like let's say you want to make sierra nevada pale l unless you go to sierra nevada Humberbrag, i've been lucky enough to do that and taste pale l like <laughs> with his homies from trillium seriously off the tank like and that's like an all-time great moment go to sierra nevada and because it's like beer disneyland same but nice. you can the a, a great homebrewed beer that you make and like you're let's say you're carving it up or you're opening bottles from bottle conditioning and trying them out like to have the opportunity to taste it at its either its freshest or its peak during different times that's not something anyone else can do that's a huge advantage as a home brewer i mean commercial brewers we get to do it so i don't know if that's like a big distinction but it's like it's a distinction between people who just say i'm just going to consume commercial beer versus I'm going to make beer myself. Being able to try it, because like, when you get beer at its peak peak, especially like something like an IPA or a you know hazy or a pale ale, like something like that, or even sour beer, when you taste it at its best, it's transcendent. I mean, that's that's a huge, great point, man. How many people have day zero beers in their life? For sure. In yeah. Yeah. Even, and, or, or, or if it's an aged it's sour beer, like how many people know, like, oh, I have this bottle that's been aging, or this case of beer I've been aging for 12 months, and now, right now, is the time to drink it. You go to the store, and you go and buy, you know, Orval or Phantom. Shout out to both those amazing inspirations. But we all know the game. That's Is it, is it the right time to open it right now, or is it is it yeah. six months? Is it Was it six months before? And how many breweries have made new beers that are essentially inspired by drinking the beer off the tank? Because the brewers love, like, oh, brewers love, uh, let's shout out, like, Firestone. Brewers love uh, DBA off the tank. And so now they have unfiltered DBA. Amazing beer. And it's just like, you can do that as a home brewer. And again, not to say commercial brewers can't, but... That's an amazing thing that you can do as a home brewer. So one thing I'll add on top of that, that you can do that we cannot do, especially with sour beers, you can nail spirit-influenced sour beers. And I'll tell you why. You can just add spirits. Drop a tab of acid. Who cares? <laughs> wow. That, that, that wasn't even the that drop. We did it live. That was not the drop. Amazing. <laughs> that was good. We should, like, dub so those good. over each other. And see, I think yeah, that was like, okay, uh, three... Two, one. Drop a Drop tap of acid, acid in there. Who cares? Who cares? Wow, that's good Plus, stuff. Meta. Drama whiskey, baby. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, 
spirit barrel aged sour beers are hard to do, um, especially I would say bourbon. The the bourbon barrel is harder than you know. Sometimes gin is in wine barrels, and um, that's easier. So that's a different story. But just separate the components. Here's how much spirit character I want in my beer. Add that much of the spirit. Here's how much oak I want in the beer. Add that much oak in whatever form it's going to be. The spirals or the chips or the cubes or there's even like powder and stuff like that. Just do that piecemeal and you can nail it way better than we can. Because we're – once we put something in a barrel, there's all – there's like these different – lines going on a graph and we're not going to hit the apex like they're not all going to happen at the same time and we just do our best homebrewers can crush us i yeah like if someone who's a good home brewer had a spirit uh influenced sour beer i'd be like okay let me try that and i would bet you have a better shot at making that better than me maybe not almanac but better than the rare brown <laughs> All right, Scott, you have a question from the emails. Yeah, I do. Let's see. Uh, and I should point out, too, that while we are doing our lightning round here at the uh, end of the show, we have uh, a final Almanac Sour Beer in our glasses. And what is this again, guys? The Tropical Hop Cake. Yeah. Give, give me a quick uh, description while I pull this up. Yeah, so this is uh, one of our sour IPAs, uh, actual sour IPAs that we uh, have a IPA base that we add fruit to, add our mixed culture to, let it age in oak. Um, and then blend off uh, and package into a bottle. It's great. Wow, it's this, cr- this is what I'm talking it's about. It's an IPA base, so it is. Um, but again, it's it's reduced IBUs, so everything about it's the same. The dry hop is there, um, but you know, three mm. months, three months with the Brettanomyces does a cool thing, and that's kind of that that transformation we're talking about, like with the hops, the different portions in, in a beer that you get flavors that are different for sure. Plays off the passion for really well. A lot of candy fruit kind of coming through. Yeah, really terrific. It, it ends, uh, it lends a lot of like complexity and, and layers to it, but it doesn't, you wouldn't taste this and be like hoppy. No part of your palate thinks hoppy. No, and a lot yeah. of that fruit character is literally just hops. Yeah. And that's Interesting. Kind of a cool playoff. Yeah. A lot of it is also our house culture. It gives it that like pear, tropical, pineapple kind of flavor that a lot of the Brett consumes while it's doing all the IPA conversion. Totally. Yeah. Great beer. It's wonderful. Really, really, really good. This is from Ted Paulson. He says, hey, everyone, I'm a brewer at a small brewery in Ontario. We have a dozen bourbon barrels, speaking of spirits, that we are aging dark beers in, and soon we will be starting a sour program. My question is, once I'm finished with clean beers in these bourbon barrels, say after two uses, can I clean them and use them for sours? I'm told that the 22-millimeter staves of bourbon barrels are less appropriate than the 27-millimeter staves of most wine barrels. Can I perhaps use them for sour stouts, where slightly increased oxygen will be less noticeable? A, don't make a sour stout. No one wants that. That is so true. Honestly. <laughs> I, I want one glass. If you're going to make it, just make at least like five glasses so I can try it. <laughs> I mean, I, Ted, I mean, I know that's not what you want to hear. Uh, and, you, you know, they can I'll, be good-ish. I but, could, man, I mean, it's... Don't do it. It's, it's, no, it's true. But I would say, though, you know, your question about using barrels that are bourbon. Absolutely. Go for it. They're, they're awesome. You know, some of the best sour beers that are out there are aged in bourbon barrels shout out to lost abbey shout out to jolly pumpkin a lot of people throw some groovy stuff in bourbon barrels that make some amazing beers yeah exclusively it can work i just think your your odds are lower i'm not gonna say so i won't you know beg you off of it or anything if if that's what you have access to do it if you need a barrel use that barrel you're not getting the bourbon character that you're hoping for though yeah if you want to make a bourbon sour you're probably not gonna get a third use a third use like just put whatever you want in there it's not gonna it's not gonna matter really it's just turning into a neutral barrel Wine barrel would be better, but if you don't got them, man. Yeah. yeah. 
But if you can get wine barrels, do that. Yeah. I'll just say that. Agree. And then we, when I was at the brewery, we, we made a nice sour stout. At least I thought in my opinion. Tart of Darkness is phenomenal. Tart of Darkness. And shout out to Doug Constantiner from Society Brewing Company. That was the first recipe he developed for us at the, at the brewery, his stout recipe. And just 5%. And it was second use bourbon barrels from our Imperial Stout program. And... It was great. I mean, was there a big bourbon flare? No. But, you know, it was really good. The first first year we did it, it was too sour, but that was more about the mixed culture than the oxygen ingress, in my opinion. And after that, it was fine. Hey, motherfuckers, this is Doug from fucking Society. You're listening to the session of the fucking Bruin Network. Fuck you. He's, like, not even that cool. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> too cool. <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember being like, Doug, give me a liner. And he was like, uh, yeah, hey, it's Doug, um, you know, Brewing Network. It's like, come on, man. Like, give me something better. And that's what he gave me. Another, as, a, as am I, a lifelong fan of the BM. So he, he didn't, that's what he wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. Uh, more questions. Uh, thank you, uh, Ted. It uh, looks like Chronicle Beer is the brewery in Ontario that Ted is at. So good luck. Thank you for the question, man. Keep us updated. Next. Hey, Jay. Big fan of the, big fan of the show, man. Thanks for all you do. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Next. <laughs> I knew that's what uh, it said. Yeah, totally. Drop <laughs> uh, a tab right. of acid in there. Who cares? <laughs> Any and all info on the process, <laughs> grist, yeast, lab, etc. for their sh- suns- sunshine and opportunity mixed firm on fruit juice beer. Alberto? Yeah, so so sunshine, um, so we, we make... Um, of our sour program, thirty seconds. We make about sixty percent uh, of the same base. We call it Brett Session. It's it's a five percent ABV mixed culture, mixed uh, grain recipe, sixty forty Pilsner, and then everything else garbage. Well, spelt whatever oats and wheat, <laughs> not garbage. Sorry, you got me, you got me wrong here. That. Shout out to Admiral Malting. No, <laughs> always Admiral Malting in there. Um, phenomenal malts. Seriously. Uh, shout out to those guys, 100%. But um, so 60, 40% Pilsner and then some other adjuncts, either it's wheat or oats or rye or spelt or uh, barley, whatever, you know, flake barley. Um, but it's all the same um, ABV target, same Play-Doh um, that gets fermented with the same house culture. If that beer gets dry hopped and gets paired, that becomes sunshine. So that's kind of the idea. So it's, it's, it's literally just our house culture fermenting um, about three months in uh, terms of aging, but more or less terminal in terms of... Uh, process and then we blend in about 10 percent old beer specifically so all right some of these might be jokes so i'm just gonna read them verbatim okay not this one though i think they're uh roy they're bugs and barrels source treatment etc great show what it's not a question really we don't put bugs in barrels i promise you there, there you go. go uh our friend josh Embry asks how do they feel about sake and would they do a collab with setting sun sake brewing company mm. hit us uh, up yo. hit us up philip at almanacbeer.com we love sake. samples we love sake Boom. true facts do you guys know josh we don't no oh really i'd like to know josh he's a good guy uh daniel katie asks uh cats or dogs Dogs. Ah, it used to always be cats, Dan. You know the Peanut answer. Whiskers. Peanut whiskers. Peanut whiskers, right? <laughs> but you've also met Lucy first. So you know that she's a, she's, a, she's a sweetheart. Nathan Schieber asks, any tips on keeping house cultures happy and consistent for many years? Which sounds like you guys have done. Totally. So we're about 160 generations in of our house culture. Um, when things get out of line in terms of acidity, bacteria starts to grow, what do we do? We just brew a very bitter beer. We brew like what would be like an old school West Coast dipper. 
that knocks all the bacteria down. Um, we harvest the yeast out of that pitch, uh, out of that, that fermentation, and then repitch that again as our house culture. It works really, really well. Knocks down the bacteria. It, you know, obviously, if you have things, part of that, I guess, I, I back it up, is that our house culture is only lactobacillus um, for souring. Gotcha. Roel Groot or Roel Groot asks more of a business question, but is there a correlation between tartness in sours and the sales of those sours? I've always wondered how pH levels affect consumer behavior. Interesting. Yeah, um, I think so. I think, you know, look at five years ago where beers were sour as hell and you just were stripping enamel from your teeth and now you're much more palatable and much more balanced. I think uh, consumers are kind of not going for the sour arms race. They want something that's balanced and something that has a little bit more nuance to it instead of hitting you with one note. So I think if you create something that has uh, a little bit softer acidity and something that has other flavors that complement the acidity, you're going to reach a broader audience than just hitting someone with sour in the face. Totally. We're not making beers for everybody, but we're just trying to make the most balanced beer we can put out. Awesome. Jensen Cummings asks, how do they manage the aroma slash flavor profile of house mixed cultures? Do they pitch single strains into their vessels to redirect that profile, or do they and keep it in line and balanced? You know, 90, 90% of our wort stream goes splits between two, two fermentations. One half goes to just single bread and single Saccharomyces Saison, and the other half gets sent to mixed culture. And then we blend those to um, basically midstream. So our fermentation process is about a week in one vessel. Then we blend those vessels together, and uh, that goes to fooders or barrels, and then it'll age for three months to two years. Having about a 1,300-barrel sour capacity, there is a lot of stuff aging all at once and at different times. So we're constantly filling and emptying uh, vessels, and things have different flavors throughout that timeline whether it's a month in, two months in, three months in, a year out, we're going to pick and choose anything that we think has the flavors we want for the blend. So it's a balance between having acidity, fruitiness, uh, funkiness, uh, and we are able to choose from that large blending stock. All right. Jan Chudkowski. Hope I did you well there. Or maybe it's Jan. It's Jan. What's up, Jan? What's up, Jan? Jan? I think it's our, our mutual, mutual friend, friend, Jan. Jan? Okay. Oh, Maybe. Then, this is, then definitely. Did he ask us about a mutual friend? <laughs> no, because... You know, the, he's a mutual no, friend because, of ours. Well, because the, <laughs> he's our mutual friend. <laughs> <laughs> the, the question doesn't make any sense to me, but... Boxers. <laughs> drums or space? Oh, I'm definitely going to say drums, uh, but you have to get through the dark to get to the light. At the end of the tunnel is, uh, you know, is some light for sure. Get to the darkness. All right, we'll move on without. If you know Grateful Dead fish, you know the answer. Uh, Rip Neil Pert, by the way. As long as we're at the drums conversation. R.I.P. Neil Pert. Yeah. R.I.P. We'll miss you. I'd be curious to know us uh, from Matt Reimer. Reimer. I'd be curious to know how they evolved their process over time and what they would look back on as room for improvement if someone else might be starting out. Have a bigger brewery. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the thing I would say in terms of like sour production is is recognizing that acid is really easy to produce. And if you focus too early on on making only acid, you're just going to make only acid. So something that we've learned over the years is really to fun- focus on like yeast expression is more important than us in acid. We know we can make acid, so... 
Uh, and that and increase your IBUs. Whatever you think is the right level, just just put like six four, six to ten more IBUs in there. Thirty, thirty five. It's like <laughs> it's like salt when you're cooking. Just put put more than you think you need. Just a little more. I mean, it's hard to take salt out though. No, that's true. It's hard to take acid uh, out too. Seth, Seth Langford says they work next door to you. That's it. Uh, Dope, Seth. <laughs> up, Seth? Thank you for the question, Seth. Can uh, Dave? Theodore asked, can we please have Fooder Friends again? That was one of my favorite beers of 2019. Coming sooner than you think. Unfortunately, it will not be a lager this time. Well, I should say unfortunately. Fortunately for you, my friend, Fooder Friends is coming back, but it'll be a mixed culture beer this year. Yeah. Fooder Friends Part 2. Look out. So the beer's not coming back. (laughs) Whatever you had that you liked, it'll be different. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it'll be wonderful, though, yeah. (laughs) Benedict Cook is uh, asking about the role their magnificent artwork has played in the success of of their sour beers. Sparkle Cell Beer, for sure. We we endorse Sparkles. But no, honestly, shout out to Damien, co-founder, CFO. Also, shout out DKNG. Totally. DKNG's done a lot of our artwork for cans. If you don't know them, they're amazing. Do a lot of cool posters and stuff. Uh, we've always definitely stressed that art is part of the beer that we make. So art is a huge play only if just to please, you know, please ourselves. Awesome. Drink with your eyes and your taste buds. Yes. And last one here is from uh, Jay Goodwin. What's the biggest mistake in sour beer <laughs> yes. making? I already kind of talked about the acid part. I think rushing things or, or, or even writing things off. I think patience, just not having patience is probably the biggest mistake you can have that, Sour beer makes itself in a lot of ways. Um, you just have to know when it's ready is the real key, and just it'll wipe its own asshole. That's right. always true. Don't worry. Brett always cleans itself up. Yeah, you can clip that. Yeah, I'll clip that. <laughs> sure. It's like I don't know if this is a, a exact analogy, but uh, you know, like people play and they're like, "Wow, how do you you you, you made three hundred bucks? You played blackjack? You made money? Yeah, you were up too, but you just kept playing until you weren't anymore. I cashed out when I was up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the other you know the other thing you that- pointed at me. <laughs> and well, yeah, you got your ass handed to you last time. Last time, <laughs> I was thinking about that today. I think I might be back down to even. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, you probably are. Yeah, I guess the other thing I would add to that is just just know when to dump something too. That like, there's a point where it's not going to get any better, and you know it, and you should dump that beer. Don't try and blend something you're not stoked on. Excellent. There you go. Yep. Well, guys. Thanks so much for spending so much time with us and uh, all of Thanks your Thanks so much that for having us. That was not an hour. <laughs> that, yeah, it's, it's, that was an hour. It <laughs> edits down. Totally an hour. It, it felt like four. No, thanks for having us. It edits down to an hour. <laughs> uh, the beers were terrific. Really, really good across the board. Amazing. Thanks. Thank you so much. Big thanks to Almanac Beer Company. Go visit them, Alameda Island in the East Bay area. Thanks to Scott and not Bevo, who's not here. Thanks to all the sponsors and the shout-out. listeners. Go ahead. One, two, three. Shout out to Alpro. Shout out to Alpro. Oh, well, I got to do You owe me a dollar and a high five. You owe me a dollar and a high five. <laughs> shout out to Alpro. Okay, Alpro. Let me get that dollar, too. And until next time. Three ways. Stay sour. I'm the host, 